This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. This morning I want to have a look at thoughts concerning how Satan attacks. And um, uh, and this this is a really important point for us this morning. John 8 verse 44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this, in this, um, in John 8, Jesus is rebuking the religious elite and um, he's saying to them, you're just like your father, the devil. And then he describes him in this way. And you'll notice that there is no truth in him when he speaks. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar. And so, you know, um, this will become clear. We don't want to start repeating too much. Revelation 12 verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. This is part of his nature that he would deceive people. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. 2 John, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. That's a a staggering thought for us to consider. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Genesis chapter 3, we were reading before. We want to read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree? Of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Sorry, uh, if you skip down to the um, yeah, sorry, we we're continuing there. And when uh, and the serpent said to the woman, "You shall, uh, you surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So, 
We're looking at the idea of the deceiver this morning and, and considering how Satan attacks. And um, so, you know, when you when you consider this text here in Genesis chapter 3 and the other verses that we mentioned earlier, the thing to understand that this attack is principally aimed at the mind, the realm of the mind. And I, I have done a lot of uh, teaching and preaching over the years on the realm of the mind. Um, and that's because this is a really important area for you and I to understand. Uh, and it's a fundamental area for Christian living to really take place. So the first thing to understand is that Satan's target is your mind. This is the first thing for you and I to understand. The attack against the first couple began with an attack in this realm of reasoning, the realm of the mind. And 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And I love Paul's words there because it highlights something that I think is important. Um, you know, not everybody is a spiritual you know, rocket surgeon or brain scientist. Um, you know, not everybody is is at an elevated IQ. You know, some people are simply smarter than others. But something that Paul says here, which is really important and applies to all of us, is that there is a simplicity and a purity in our devotion to Jesus. And so uh, this needs to be something that becomes a bit of a, a, um, uh, I guess, a, a perimeter to our walk with God, that we see that within our walk with God, um, if the simplicity and the purity of walking with the Lord is being lost, then something is wrong in the nature of our Christian walk, and that will become clearer as we come through. So why does Satan begin his attacks on God's children or on people generally, because there's no doubt that the world is under a constant attack from the enemy and from his uh, vast propaganda machine um, that is in place. Why does he attack the mind? And that is, there are probably many reasons, but some of those reasons would include that communication and revelation occur in the mind. Now, when we talk about the mind biblically, we're not just talking about simply the seat of intellectual reasoning, that, that with the mind we go one plus one equals two, but we really believe it with the heart. You know, that's, that's crazy stuff. The, the biblical idea of the mind incorporates a, an ability to reason as well as um, an emotional content to it. And this has been borne out to us in recent times. Um, the science has discovered that uh, children growing up in, in uh, fatherless homes have less um, ability to, to emotionally reason things. And uh, as a consequence of that, they're more likely to make poor choices, poor life choices. And so... Um, it's through the mind that we that God communicates with us. When, when we read the Word of God, God is communicating with us and we're, we're taking that in and we are 
uh, rationalizing that, we're processing it, we're learning from it, but also God reveals himself to us through that process. And sadly, many Christians minimize the significance of the mind. We've become, uh, through you know, modern uh, philosophy, I guess, or, or um, uh, you know, modern, uh, I don't know exactly what the right word is right now. It's kind of escaping me. But what I'm talking about is these modern ideas that, that just separate the mind from the heart. And, and so we've become a generation that, you know, um, be true to yourself is, is the adage of the world today. But when they say that, they say that with the meaning of wherever your heart leads you. And when they say that, they say that with the underlying meaning of whatever feels good to you. This, is, this was the, one of the great mantras of the 60s uh, out of the hippie revolution. If it feels good, do it. And so, um, you know, that obviously is, um, is a lie and it's a deception. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Ephesians 4, I've got the verses listed there already. Uh, 17 to 24, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk um, uh, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And you'll see there in Paul's writing that he ties together the mind and the heart, um, that they're tied together. He says, and they have become callous, having given themselves uh, over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which has been corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is in uh, which in the likeness of god has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth there's a passage for some meditation but you will notice over and over again uh, within ephesians 4 verses 17 and onwards there is this emphasis there, that when the mind is thinking the wrong way, uh, that leads to one thing, but you didn't learn Christ this way and you have been taught in him, uh, you're laying aside the old life and now you're taking up the new life um, because the, you, you've laid aside the old life because it's been corrupted um, in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So this is why Satan targets the mind is because through the mind, he can bring about deception in people's lives. Um, and Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is. We'll come to this a little bit more in a moment. So God renews our lives by renewing our mind. Uh, your mind 
is renewed through the truth of God's word. This is vitally important for us to understand and and, um, you should spend a little time reviewing these passages that I just mentioned uh, and Romans 12 to put it in its context, go back over the passage and uh, work over that passage. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. So the enemy tries hard to get us to believe lies and half-truths. He tries to mix in portions of half-truths. Uh, there's the the old illustration that is often used is, is when you um, put a spoonful of coffee into a cup of hot water that which was clear just a moment ago, is tainted by the uh, small spoon of coffee and and, um, soon you can't separate the one from the other. They're blended together. Um, So so Satan begins to, through believing these lies, he begins to lead people into living lives of sin, which is why the mind is under attack all the time because believing lies leads to Sin, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So now what that means is that by, by simply believing error, that doesn't mean that you will um, go out and commit the most heinous crimes, but we can't live according to truth if we don't know it, not deliberately anyway. So this is why he attacks the mind And this is why we must protect our minds from his attacks. Now, I know I've ministered on this many, many times, and if you um, have been at Cornerstone for any length of time, you might be yawning already because you know this stuff. But it's really a, a phenomenally important issue. Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now, why don't don't you take that in reverse? Because you could say, if it's not true, don't let it enter your mind. If it's not honourable, don't let it enter your mind. If it's not right, don't let it enter your mind. Don't meditate over it. So the the mind is a vast arena of scientific research all the time, but uh, one discovery is that your mind affects how you feel and act. And, um, you know, know, this is a, a... vital area for us to understand, you know. So a medical doctor might say you are what you eat and the psychologist could also say you are what you think. But putting this into the context of how we're discussing it, if you are what you think, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Doesn't it make logical sense that Satan would desire to absolutely corrupt the way that you think because then he can absolutely corrupt who you are. 
He can corrupt how you behave, the things you do, all, all of this by corrupting the way you think. So this is really important for us. Uh, Isaiah 26, verse 3, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Think about that just for a moment. Those who are trusting in God, he keeps in peace. Uh, Romans 8 verse 6 says, For the mind is set, uh, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Your mind affects your whole person. And this is why the enemy, he, he knows the tremendous power of your mind. And so he tries to capture it for himself. And, um, you know, when this is why there, there is a um, uh, kind of a principle within the communications world, the signal and the noise. And, um, and so the radio signal carries the voice that is wanting to be transmitted. But often around that, there's the hazy noise. You know, when you, when you hear people use um, radios, CB radios or ham radios, that you'll hear the voice come through, but often it's surrounded by a, a lot of noise, the signal and the noise. And so this is part of the process of maturing in the Christian life is to be able to separate the signal from the noise and see what God is teaching you through his word. Let's keep moving along. So Satan targets your mind, and uh, one of the ways in which he does this is that he uses lies as a weapon of attack. Satan came to Eve as a subtle deceiver. Uh, one translation that we read said that he spoke with her in a crafty manner. Um, the, the serpent of old who is called uh, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, Revelation 12, verse 9. And we read earlier from John 8, 44, there is no truth in him for he is the father, uh, he is a liar and the father of lies. So it's important for us to notice the steps that Satan took in deceiving Eve in, in, in order to get Eve to believe his lie. And the first one is that he questions God's word. Has God really said? Now, it might not always be phrased in that way. Do you think that's what the word of God really means when it says abstain from fornication? I mean, aren't you married in God's eyes if you're living together? Um, you know, these kinds of things. So the enemy will put questions in your mind in order for you to be able to justify them and then because once we start believing those lies, we start stepping into sinful patterns of behavior. So has God really said? He didn't deny that God had spoken. Um, I'm pretty convinced he knew what God had said. Um, he just planted a question in Eve's heart and, uh, um, you know, and then it went from there. So, you know, is it possible you have misunderstood the Lord? Maybe that was um, his question. You know, you owe it to yourself to rethink what God has said. Remember, we're in the 21st century now, and you're reading a book that was written by a bunch of goat herders uh, 2,000 plus years ago. 
And you really think that somehow applies to today? This is the kind of questioning that the enemy will use to deceive God's people. So he questions the word of God. He also denies the word of God. You shall not surely die. Has God said, no, you won't really die? From questioning to denying is a very short step. And um, sadly, as a, as a minister, I have seen that happen. And as a believer of, of some years now, um, I've seen many people who have uh, begun questioning God's word and then have moved into a place where they are um, denying God's word. And it's very sad to see now. Um, Adam and Eve hadn't seen death, so the concept to them would have been a, a theoretical one, I guess, to some degree. All they had to go on was the word of God. Was there anything else they needed? You see, if Eve had not listened to Satan questioning God's word, she probably would not have moved on to his trap when he denied God's word. Then the next part of it is that Satan always, after, after questioning the word of God and denying the word of God, he inserts a substitute of his own lies. You shall be as God. Adam and Eve were already made in the image of God, imagio Dea. This does not mean they were made as gods. Um, you know, we deny um, Mormon theology, for example, that, that states that um, uh, Christ was once a man and became a god um, and that there are many gods and that one day, just as Christ is now, you one day will be. We deny that. You shall, you shall not be as God. Um, and so Adam and Eve, though, they were already made in the image of God and Satan temp tempted them with an even greater claim of privilege that, listen, take this root and you will become a God. You will become just like God himself. In modern times, we, call, we would call this, um, uh, psychologically speaking, we would call it projection because, in fact, it was the desire of Satan's heart to be just like God, that he, he declared that he would be like God the Most High, and now he's telling Adam and Eve the very thing that then got him kicked out of the realm of, uh, of authority that he had as a, as a principal angel of the Lord and, uh, and being stripped of, of that uh, and becoming the uh, horrid creature that he became. In the gall of his own bitterness, he then projects onto them the very thing that he wanted, knowing from experience, the result of that, you shall be as God. And you can read through Isaiah 14 to get a little bit of background uh, on that um, uh, and see, see what happens. But also Romans 1, uh, verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, or literally the text says for the lie, 
and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So, you know, Satan desires worship. He wants people to worship him. He wanted to be worshipped and he wanted to uh, claim equality with God. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus would give Satan uh, neither worship nor service. Um, and Matthew 4, 8 through 10, and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Matthew 4. So this same lie, though, still motivates man today. Uh, and we see it still in, in place, whether it's uh, politicians um, or politics, uh, education, psychiatry, religion, environmentalism, social justice. Uh, man defies God and deifies self. So you will notice um, that, uh, sorry, sorry about the spelling there, man, uh, I've done it the same way both, both times. Man defies, it's supposed to be defies, D-E-F-I-E-S and defies. Just add the I and you go from defying God to deifying self. And if you want self-rulership, um, that's the way in which you will go. Your mind, yeah, forget that. Let's move on. A couple of uh, mistakes in my presentation there. Well, how did Eve respond to Satan's approach? So Satan uses lies as a weapon of attack. We, we've already discovered that. What did Eve do? He, she took away, there were three mistakes that Eve made, or three sins she committed. She took away from God's word. In verse 2, Eve omitted the word freely um, that was uh, given by the Lord in, in chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. And uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now, you know, look, it could be a simple thing, but there is this omission that is there. Um, and it's possible that because one of the deceptions of the enemy is to cause us to have a discontent with the will of God, it's possible that that discontent is subtly being spoken by Eve because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so becoming discontent with God, God has said we can't eat from the tree. And so there's a subtle discontent you know, because maybe his suggestion is working. You know, God's holding out on you. He's keeping things from you. And so she took from God's word. She also, though, added to God's word. There is no instruction in chapter 2 of Genesis as the Lord tells them what they can and cannot do. 
There's no instruction concerning what Eve says. She said um, in verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now we're going to come to this verse right now. Um, because in actual fact, Genesis 2, verse 17 says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So there's a couple of things that are taking place here uh, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, and that is that firstly, she added to God's word. So we don't find the words touch in the original command. Um, they're not in the record. So it seems that Eve made God's original word less gracious by omitting the word freely there um, because it was possible for them to freely eat from all of the trees except for two in the midst of the garden. Now, also, she made the commandment more grievous by stating, or touch it. He said that, that um, uh, we can't eat of it or touch it. So her gratitude for all that God had given them, instead of her response being, hey, Satan, God has said we can have everything. We're just not allowed to eat from this tree. Instead of that, she restricted the, the free grace that God had shown to them down to uh, God has said we can't eat from it, can't even touch it. So it's become somehow um, embittered in its response. And, you know, this is far and apart from what John would teach us in 1 John 5 when he says that God's commandments are not burdensome. You see, this commandment given by the Lord to Adam and Eve in the garden was not only not burdensome, it was liberating in so many ways. So she then also thirdly changed God's word and she inserted the word lest. Genesis 3, verse 3, uh, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, this is a, a transition from the original rendering in, in chapter 2. But of the tree of the knowledge and good of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day, in the day, in the day, this is not a mistake, you are hearing it, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So what's the big deal here? The emphasis that God made to Adam, and we will assume uh, he translated that or transmitted that correctly to Eve um, uh, because it's not revealed that he didn't. Um, the emphasis of God's word is on, upon the um, finality, the, the, uh, the conclusive argument that God makes. When you do this, this will occur. The word lest, though, lest you die, has, carries with it a different meaning. It carries in the event 
that you die or you might want to die or, um, or um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll read it and try and insert one of these meanings here. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, he has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it for the worry of something that might happen such as dying. Perhaps you'll die. Perhaps Satan presented something that was more immediately gratifying and Eve's inability to grasp the um, sureness um, of God's command regarding death um, meant that what Satan presented was more appealing. Maybe even thought, you know, maybe she even thought that it was okay to forsake God's will. You see, once we begin doing these kinds of things, taking away from God's word, adding to God's word, changing God's word, we're really open to spiritual attack at that point. If you want to know the basis of word of faith heresies or uh, uh, control group heresies, it is in, rooted in this kind of thing, this, this adding, this decontextualizing uh, of the word of God, this, um, this uh, um, a practice of inserting our current uh, situation in the 20th century Western church into the scripture. And we try and overwrite the scripture with where we are in history to say this is this is how the church fits into that, rather than saying, how does the church, asking the question, how does the church fit into that first century record that was given to the church? And so, um, you know, he, Satan here brought her, induced her into a place where she was open to spiritual attack by uh, permitting Eve to consider the tree apart from God's word, um, you know, desiring it. She looked at it and desired it. Um, she saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. So where did this, where did this idea come from, I wonder? You know? Verse 5, for God does know that in the day you eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit. Hey, baby, take a good look at this because this is the answer to all your questions. The, the, this right in front of you is the very thing you're craving. You know that? fruit-shaped hole of knowledge that you have in your heart, it's all there in this mystical experience. And, you know, this is where the New Age comes into its powerful operation is that it promises people things that, the, that they're not supposed to um, find the answer to in, in that way, um, you know. So 
she had to make a choice, God's word or Satan's word. That, that was the choice she had to make. She rejected God's word and she believed Satan and the consequence then of believing that, then the sin occurred. Out of, you know, the, the sin occurred once the concept started to take place. Once she looked at the tree and desired it and saw it as being something to give her wisdom, to give her something she didn't have right now, then the sin occurred as she discarded the truth of God to embrace that error. So this obviously teaches us that God's will is accomplished through his truth. Satan accomplishes his purposes through lies, but God accomplishes his purposes through truth. And whenever a believer trusts in the truth of God, the Holy Spirit can work in that believer's life in a powerful way. Um, because the Holy Spirit, as John in John 16, it's recorded, he is the spirit of truth. But when a person believes a lie, then Satan goes to work uh, in that life, and, and um, that's because he himself is a liar and the father of lies. So faith in God's truth leads to victory and liberty um, and, and freedom. Faith in Satan's lies leads to defeat. So there is a warning here because obviously Satan, he didn't come into the garden carrying a banner over himself saying, hey, what I'm about to tell you, Eve, is a lie. Um, you know, and there was no, no one there standing alongside pointing at him saying, fake news, fake news. He is the serpent, and as such, uh, there is a warning for us, and that is that he masquerades his lies as truth. That is what he does. Second Corinthians 11, 13 and 14 says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as Apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So, you know, he didn't approach Eve in his true nature. Uh, he masqueraded and presented a lie as if somehow that lie was in itself truth. So, Satan uses lies as a weapon of attack. I'm going to close in just a moment. Um, there are counterfeit Christians. Uh, you can look up the verses. Paul speaks of dangers among false brethren. Uh, Jesus taught of the tares being sown in among the wheat uh, and of being of your father, the devil. There is a counterfeit gospel. And in Galatians 1.8, but even though we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There are counterfeit ministers of the gospel. For even Satan himself disguises as 
an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. There is a counterfeit righteousness. Romans 10 verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. There is even counterfeit church, the church of Satan. Revelation 2 verse 9, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. And this counterfeit church has counterfeit doctrines. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. These are powerful points for us to understand. You see, Satan, all the way through all of these things, the counterfeit Christians, why? Because they either believe or promote lies, counterfeit gospel, that is a propagation of lies upon which the counterfeit Christians are probably falsely birthed, uh, counterfeit ministers preaching that counterfeit gospel that is leading to counterfeit converts, the counterfeit righteousness, a righteousness based upon self and counterfeit church, etc., etc. All of this will end, of course, but it all is culminating, all of this is culminating in a presentation of a counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, who will accept worship and service from the world. And then that lawless one will be revealed, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all powers and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, Second Thessalonians, and all who dwell on the earth, Revelation 13, will worship him. See, Satan's target is your mind. His weapons are lies, or his weapon is lies. And we will just quickly go through what his purpose is. So he targeted Eve's mind. He used weapons of lies, and let's just quickly rip on through this idea of, of his purpose, and then we will stop. His purpose is principally to make you ignorant of God's will. Satan attacks God's word because God's word reveals God's will. So the, the will of God for Adam and Eve that was very clear that they were not to eat of the tree uh, because in the day they eat of it, they will surely die. So he he used lies and deception to cause in Eve a dissatisfaction with the will of God and and uh, and a deception. And so she ate of the tree. Um, all of this he did so that he could disguise the will of God and um, and lead her into a deception. And so Satan's desire is that you and I would be ignorant of the will of God. Um, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, uh, the psalmist said. 
and a light to my path. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. So, you know, David made it really clear that the, the law of God being within his heart was a revelation to him of the will of God. So, and he said he delighted to do the will of God because the law of God was written in his heart. So apart from God's word, we have no defined understanding of the will of God. Now, this is highlighted to us in the ideas of revelation. And I don't mean the book of revelation. Revelation means uh, coming, it means a revealing. And so there are ways in which God is revealed to us. There is a, a general revelation of God in the creation. We look around at the creation and we see that its complexity reveals to us a complex creator. But it doesn't name him as Yeshua, the Messiah. We look around at, at the creation and we, we find out about a, a creative creator, someone who, who loves difference and beauty, but it doesn't tell us who he is. So it's the word of God that comes along then and defines exactly who the creator is. And apart from the word of God, we will not have that understanding of the will of God and we will not have that understanding of God himself because the word of God brings that revelation to us. And so the conscience, in a sense, is generally a revelation to us of the will of God. We know that it is wrong to lie, but we don't always know why. And, um, and we don't know specifically where that idea comes from other than our parents saying to us, don't lie, I know when you're lying. So Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. The plans of God's heart from generation to generation. An interesting turn of phrase. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. God's will comes from God's heart. It's not an impersonal thing. It's a very personal matter with the Lord. So the will of God for your life has a very personal aspect to it on the behalf of God. Now, don't read that around the other way to say that God has given to you a very personal will that, that um, you can then twist around the meaning of Scripture in order to come up with a, a concocted plan on what you think specifically the will of God is for your life and therefore you uh, can allow yourself to live in certain ways because it is the will of God. God revealed to me the will that he has for me from his heart. No, I'll show you very briefly where God's heart and will is revealed to you. Sorry, this is my old Thompson chain. There it is. It's revealed to you right there in the pages of Scripture. 
That is God's heart to you. And it's a personal matter for him. Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Here is God's heart laid out for you to know his will. So God's will comes from his heart. It's not impersonal. He has intended that we would gain a personal understanding of it, not a personalized understanding of it. A personal understanding means that you as an individual come to a revelation of who Jesus is and place your faith in him. A personalized understanding means that you put a twist on that and you might insert whatever you want to insert and end up with all the religions that we have in the world because a personal, personalized twist has been put into the foundation of that truth. So God has a desire for you and I to personally understand his truth, uh, his nature, his purpose, and he tailors that plan to humans and he meet, he reaches humans individually with, with absolute truths. So God wants us to know and understand his will. Acts 22, 14, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will. Five, uh, Ephesians 5, 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He wants this understanding of his will to fill us and control us. And I'd urge you to go back to Ephesians 4 as well for this, but Colossians 1 verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the word filled doesn't just mean that you you have a, a like a glass being full. It means in the biblical sense, it means to be under the control of. And I often use the example of being filled with rage, that somebody commits some terrible crime and then they'll say, I, I was just filled with rage in that moment and, and so I did what I did. It was out of my control. That's not the meaning of this. The meaning here is that you and I would be under the controlling influence, filled with the knowledge of his will. In other words, that the knowledge of his will brings to us a, a control over our lives. It's a, it's a wonderful um, uh, doctrine for us to, to spend some time on at another stage. And this uh, leads to doing God's will from the heart. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to turn to Ephesians 6 and, and read this out because I love this uh, verse. It's a, it's a phenomenal verse for us to look at. Um, Ephesians 6, uh, and I'll go back to verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh and with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see, as we come to understand God's will um, and we come under the, the full influence of his will, 
the result of that is that we are doing the will of God from our hearts. God's will is not a duty. It becomes a delight for us that we delight in doing the will of God. The Christian delights to discover the will of God and obey from the heart. Jesus said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus led for us the greatest example of of how you and I are to live and behave. Colossians 4 verse 12, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. You see, if Satan can make you ignorant of God's will, he will rob you of the glorious blessings that God has planned for your life. You, you will make bad decisions. You will get caught into sinful activities. Uh, you will build the wrong kind of life, associate with the wrong kind of friends, um, and you will be a wrong influence to other people. These are just a few ideas that I'm kind of skimming off the, the top and considering the, the choices that Eve made. Christians who are ignorant of the will of God lose their enjoyment of God's peace and power in their lives because they they stumble on blindly going where their own heart is leading them and not the influence of the Holy Spirit, Um, and they therefore can't grow into the full potential and purpose that God has for them, and they can't accomplish what, you know, the will of God that he has for them uh, either because they, in a sense, live like spiritual paupers as such. There's, There's a drought within and they're living a deficient life as a result, and they've cut. They seem to cut themselves off from the great wealth of being in covenant with God and and being under the authority of His Word. And you know, even worse, they spend their lives and waste their lives when instead of living in such a way that they could be investing their lives. But the one in First John uh, chapter two, verse seventeen, he who does the will of God abides. Forever. Now, there's a, a phenomenal thought. So, next week we'll have a look at um, how you and I can defend against um, Satan's attack. And you've probably guessed what it is because it's been all the way through um, these points here today. But just to recap, Satan targets minds, he uses weapons of lies, and he desires ignorance of God's will. And we, we see that really prominently displayed in Eve's encounter with Satan in the garden. And I wonder if you recognize or have recognized any of these steps at work in your life, um, you know, as, we, as we're here today, wherever you are right now. Have you seen that, that this is what uh, Satan has doing? Uh, has been doing in your life, that he is uh, targeting your mind, using the weapons, uh, his weapon of lies, and uh, desiring to build in you an ignorance for the will of God. Um, So these are are really important points for us, and, um, you know, it's it's very important that you and I... um, uh, are, are aware of this um, because ultimately it's God's desire that we would walk in his will, be liberated from the tyranny of sin 
And therefore, as we walk in his will, uh, we can bring great glory to him in the world around us. Um, so that's, that's about all I have for you here this morning. And we'll look at um, God's defense uh, next week. So not too many clues on that, but I'm sure you have already worked it out if you've been listening. Uh, Father, we thank you for the message of your word here this morning. We praise you for all those that have joined in and uh, are taking part with us here this morning. We praise you for them. Uh, Lord, we ask you that you would uh, help us to ponder um, these, con- these thoughts and give them consideration today and help us to be aware where uh, we might be allowing the enemy to uh, have some access to our processes of thinking or to distorting uh, our lives regarding the truth of your word uh, so that we would not fall prey to being ignorant of your will uh, over our lives. So we praise you and we thank you this morning in, in the mighty name of Yeshua Messiah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.